Hello and welcome to episode uh, 14 of the Miller's Game Room podcast. I'm your host Miller and today there's going to be uh, quite a bit of stuff. Um, there's the um, first off a few like updates and stuff about channel stuff and that kind of thing and podcast stuff too. Uh, then we've got a lot of news to talk about, what I've been playing and then finally a topic which is going to be about... Uh, E3 and those kind of streams because that's going to be quite relevant for reasons that people are probably already aware of but uh, first off if you like the podcast please consider like liking commenting subscribing uh, following it on your platform of choice giving five star ratings etc and so on and so forth all right so first a little like updates I've started posting uh, videos on my uh, YouTube channel also called Miller's Game Room, so I've got the podcast on there, uh, but I've also got, um, I'm hoping to do like one video a week whenever there isn't a podcast episode that has, well, my face in it, because you know, that's pretty rad, well at least most of the time I'll put my face on, and I've got some ideas, um, I've got like top tens, extended rambles about specific games that I love, I've got one for White Happen 2 next time, which uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, putting on there and making public and collection stuff as and when I get them but it won't be like oh here's what I got x and y month and that kind of thing just like full collection videos like I did for the switch and the 3ds and kind of for the vita I want to do an updated vita one at some point soon um that'll probably be uh, in the future because uh it's the vita and it needs uh, more love so that's cool um if anybody's got any suggestions, let me know. I have some ideas, but I'm leaving the overfloor open to others. Same with podcast topics, because it can be hard to think of podcast topics, especially when uh, it's a slow news week, and you've got videos as well, where you can, like, have videos, save something with videos, other things for the podcast, and in the case of White Album 2, I wanted to put it in a video instead, because uh, algorithm, basically, simple as that. Uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Um, good one today. So uh, starting with the news, um, kind of implied by the beginning, uh, E3 2022 is a topic, and that's because it has been cancelled, completely cancelled. In January, they were like, "Oh, there's going to be no physical event this year, but we're hoping to do a digital showcase." And then now in April, it's like, "Oh, sorry guys, there's no digital showcase. It's not happening. We're going to relaunch it in 2023." And we're cancelling it due to COVID-19 risks. So yeah, first of all, yes, we're still in the pandemic. So they're absolutely right to cancel it. A lot of people, especially in America and England, like to act as if there's no pandemic going on. But there is a pandemic still going on. So I'm glad it's been cancelled. So putting aside the fact that people are going to be upset at uh, the tears from Abel's because there's not going to be E3 and another in-person event. Uh, it's probably been in the works for some time because, well, I'll get onto the topic later. It's they're planning to relaunch it, but I uh, don't expect it to relaunch. At least not to the scale they're expecting. So, the next part's the big one. This literally came out just before recording this. So, yep, I'm uh, spending my Sunday recording a podcast and uh, reading the news about Kingdom Hearts 20th anniversary event, which was in Tokyo, because Square Enix decided to hold this event, and uh, I know some people were like, oh, well, there's probably not going to be much of value to show, and uh, uh, they were wrong. Pleasantly surprised they were wrong. 
Uh, I wasn't expecting much because it's Square Enix. I don't expect much from anymore, but there was a quite nice surprise. So I just want to clarify before I go into this that this is new content, and I have not played a Kingdom Hearts game in terms of new releases since Dream Drop Distance on the 3DS. So no mobile games, no Kingdom Hearts 3, even though I wanted to play it for a long time, no 0.2, no Dream Drop Distance HD, and uh, whatever else is out. So I just have largely been uh, playing other things, basically. So um, I want to catch up, at least with Kingdom Hearts 3, and maybe 0.2, but I don't know when that's going to be, so uh, that's for the backlog. But So if anything I say doesn't quite make sense, I haven't played it. Like, if there's a plot spoiler for Kingdom Hearts 3 in there, I apologise in advance, because I don't know if it's a spoiler or not. So... I'm just going to primarily read for descriptions that Square Enix showed because, um, well, they obviously can like write the PR and I think it'd be easier because I'd say I was a fan but basically more of a boomer fan who doesn't keep in touch with the latest trends. So uh, yeah, uh, I'm Miller, I'm a boomer and now I'm going to tell you about Kingdom Hearts 4. So uh, this is what Square Enix did. They showed a video which you can find online. And the description they accompany with it is basically as follows. In the announcement trailer, Sora makes a triumphant return with an updated look at the beginning of an epic new storyline called the Lost Master Arc. Beginning with Sora facing off in a Josh boss battle, fucking hell, Josh battle, what the fuck, against a giant enemy, players are introduced to the Quadratum, a large, expansive city set in a gorgeous, realistic world. Unlike anything ever seen before in the Kingdom Hearts series, fans will be excited to see the return of Sora's well-known companions Donald and Goofy, in addition to the first appearance of Strelitzia, a mysterious new character who appears before Sora in this strange new setting. So yeah, about this setting, it's basically like Tokyo, which is really cool actually, like setting like in a really sick world like Tokyo. Because it's what it basically looks like to me. Like, you see the signs for the dresses in Tokyo and these human people. And you see this, like, massive heartless. I'm only describing what's in the trailer, by the way. And uh, towering over the buildings and actually a serious enemy. And you see Sora running around. There's a bit of gameplay as well. It looks like it's built from Kingdom Hearts 3. Or at least building on from that. And it's really cool. And just jumping up with all his action and then just... It's really cool. And when I saw this uh, Strelitzia character, I thought that she would nominate first. And, um, yeah, nominate? Um, I don't know what happened in Kingdom Hearts 3 regarding nominate, if she even appeared, but I thought that was kind of weird. And then when Square Enix was like, oh, she's a new character, I'm like, oh, okay, so it's not nominate? Unless it's another part of Sora. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, as for Sora himself, a uh, new character model looks like a more, like, actual adults like which is really cool um it's like this kingdom arts one kingdom arts two kingdom arts three you see him age up and then in kingdom arts four it's like oh you've got another model you look even more realistic which does look cool and then at the end you've got Donald and goofy like oh where's sora and then but the end is basically something's behind them and then it ends with them going because uh yeah something is uh i guess caught them so I'm guessing the implications that Sora is now in uh, this Tokyo-like world and is on a separate quest and uh, Donald and Goofy have to go find him or something, I guess. Um, I'm not sure it works, but uh, 
I'm hoping the plot for this new arc is nowhere near as complex as the previous arc because that's one reason why a lot of people dropped off from the Kingdom Hearts series, uh, myself included to, to an extent, because I don't want to play for all these backlog games to play them, and uh, that's something to talk about. Like They're always like, you need to play these side games, and I'm not playing these fucking side games. I will literally read a fucking encyclopedia that you can find on Google, rather than waste my time reading these games, or playing these mobile games, or all this other stuff, because I've got like... Loads of RPGs and other games to play, as well as, uh, get out of this shit country. So I've got much bigger priorities than, you know, playing Kingdom Hearts side story games. I'm afraid I'm not hardcore, I'm sorry. Uh, other things, um, it looks like it'll be a next-gen title for PS5, Series X, and PC. Like, technically it's current-gen, but as far as I'm concerned, the PS5 and Series launched far too early and should have been after the pandemic, so I still don't really consider them next-gen. Like, I know they're there, but pretty much everything's still coming out on the PS4, the Xbox One, and even the Switch, and that will be the foreseeable future for at least the next few years. I can't see many companies moving over fully because it's just... There just isn't the demand for it because there's not enough chips and stuff for these consoles. Because again, we're in a pandemic and we're in a climate crisis, so that's why there's no chips. Anyway, I just hope it doesn't take several years to release. Like, I'd like it to be 2025, like something like that. Like, kind of around the time when the JRPGs are moving over. So, like, 2017, for example was uh, about four years after PS4 came out and we had like Persona 5, Near Automata and other things. Something like that would be good. And it's already like 2022, so that's like a two years at least. And uh, give it another couple of years and I just hope it's a more reasonable time frame. And I've not even touched the smartphone stuff yet. Because yes, there were two smartphone games, so I'm going to touch on these because uh, I don't care for smartphones, but it was announced. Well, I care for smartphones, but I don't care for smartphone games. They were announced, so I'm going to acknowledge their existence. Uh, first one was a all-new game called uh, Kingdom Hearts Missing Link for iOS and Android. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Missing Link allows players to embark on adventures from the realm of Scala and Kalen into the real world. Players will be able to engage in exhilarating battles against the Heartless and discover a new original story that hopefully will not be referenced ad nauseum in Kingdom Hearts 4. 4.5, 3.8, and whatever the fuck releases. Um, that last paragraph until I started making my snarky comment was uh, from Square Enix's PR, by the way. Um, it looks cool. I was a bit disappointed seeing the first indication it was a phone game, but it looks good. Like I'm not going to put it down too much until it's out. I just hope it's uh, one of the better phone games. Um, the final thing was an update for Kingdom Hearts Union Cross Dark Road called Kingdom Hearts Dark Road, launching in August 2022 as a free update. Basically, it's the end of that game. Uh, I would have liked to have seen something from this, this showcase of Switch, like ports of the phone games. Like, I think a port of the Union Cross to Switch with uh, transactions and stuff removed as a full price release with physical cart would be good, actually. Same with this Missing Link title. And, um, yeah, be, uh, keep my fingers crossed. Now on to the uh, New Video Games Plus news, which was almost two weeks ago. But that's fine, because there's a decent amount of news. Um, I think it was, like, the weakest showcase of the three so far, mainly because companies like Sega weren't there. And a lot of what was shown looked good. There was the release date for Biru Shanna, 
rising threat of gameplay. This is a uh, Otome game from Idea Factory International uh, and Red Entertainment. It looks nice. The limited edition looks nice. It's got like the soundtrack, the art book, and some cards and some other things. June twenty eighth, North America. July first in Europe. So uh, coming pretty soon. And it'll give other people something to play that's not the PF4A fan disc. Um, next one is probably the most surprising one from Idea Factory. Well, actually the second most. Uh, they are publishing Dusk Diver 2 in the West, which um, was interesting because, like, Idea Factory International have never done third-party games, so seeing them pick up Dusk Diver 2 to release here for PS5, PS4, and Switch is pretty cool. Um... With Idea Factory's model of having like limited edition stores and these items, third party stuff actually suits them pretty well. It's just surprising it took as long for it to happen. But I guess if other publishers like all got their own stuff and some companies like Atlas no longer doing third party games, it's not surprising to see a company like Idea Factory step in. Good to see and maybe we'll get more stuff. I think they're probably going to release this and see how it goes, but yeah, it's not Compile Heart, so it's as good as well. And finally, the most uh, the best announcement from Idea Factory from the expo is uh, Amnesia is coming back. So this is the uh, Otome game series they do called Amnesia. The first game was Amnesia Memories. Um, this this came out originally back in 2015 in the West for PC, the Vita, digitally only, and smartphones. Well, we never got the fan discs or even a physical release of Amnesia Memories. So the fact this has come back after so long with the fan discs so later x crowd are the fan discs that are bundled together under the name amnesia later x crowd and they're like two different fan discs like one's like a like suspense story and the other one's like the usual after story stuff there is a third fan disc called amnesia world which is um japan only and maybe one called amnesia later i don't know but the two we're getting is amnesia later x crowd as well as a re-release of Amnesia Memories, which is physical on Switch. Both of them are physical on Switch. Both of them are dated for the autumn. In standard and limited editions, the limited edition has like um, the soundtrack, the, the box, and a few other things. It's nice. It looks great. I do want to possibly try to jump into this series because I've always passed on Amnesia because it was digital only. Like, I remember when it came out for the Vita, it was basically, it's either physical or you don't get it. Because with the Vita, it was like, there's legitimately good reasons to go physical only on the Vita. Because memory card prices are bad, and without physical versions, you have to spend like three to four gigs on bloody digital games. And so not releasing Amnesia physically on Vita was a really bad move by Idea Factory. And it's one reason why it probably didn't do very well. And especially when Axie's releasing Code Realize and Nor 9, two other Otomate games from Idea Factory Japan physically, it just looked really bad in comparison. So I can see why it didn't do well, and apparently it was pirated a lot. So it, I, I don't know how true it was, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's why they chose not to release the fan discs here. Um, the fact it's like come back after so long is really good, and hopefully this means Nor 9 will get re-released, because I fucking love Nor 9, it's probably my favourite Otomate release I've played to date. Um, maybe other ones too, like Clock Zero as well, that's a classic Otome game in Japan that Otomate have done, which would be nice to see localised on Switch. That has a version in Japan, maybe other games too, but we'll just see what happens. 
Uh, after a big Otomi news, Jack Gian was confirmed to be coming west by Axis Games, which is a Broccoli VN, so the company that does Utano Prince Sama and a few other things like Kamigami to Azobi, um, Kamishirima to Strawberry, which is a most recent game, um, Diabolic, no, not Diabolic Lovers, that's another company. Um, but other games, so that's just um, different companies, so it's cool to see Axis picking up more games from different companies to release next year, and um, that's cool. So 2023 is already looking good. It got Winter Wind Spirits of Edo, which is a Kimiwa Yukima game, and Jack Jian, which is going to be cool, hopefully. And it got lots of good reviews in Japan. And this is the Otome game by the um, Tokyo Ghoul creator as well. So um, it's going to be interesting. And I'm looking forward to trying it out. I just hope the QA is good. Other news, I'm going to just talk about these quickly because these are the only ones that really interested me. If you're interested in any NGPX stuff, just go read the full news yourself, because I've already been at this for nearly 20 minutes. Uh, Soul Psycho Gun Vault 3 from NT Creates, launching July 28th. Uh, Prinny Presents Volume 3 from Nipponichi. Uh, this one has Lapuselli Ragnarok, which is the previously Japan-only enhanced port of Lapuselli Tactics, as well as Rhapsody of Musical Adventure, which is a classic NIS game. Um, interesting one from uh, NIS as well, they are picking up um, Kamiwaza Way of the Thief in the autumn, I believe, for like PS4, Switch and PC. Now, this game was actually announced for Japan as a re-release just early in the day, and it's a old PlayStation 2 title by Acquire, who are a company that made um, Way of the Samurai, uh, Akiba's Trip, and those kind of things. It was released for the PlayStation 2 originally, but this game never came to the West, so it's really cool that an old game like this has been remastered and picked up for the West, especially because I know people like the Way of the Samurai stuff. I've not played the Way of the Samurai stuff, I've never been super interested in it, but I think it's kind of cool to see it if this exists. East 8 coming to PS5, so there's going to be a native port of the classic East game, that came out of Dana, which um, I know people are like, why does this exist? We already have. The PS4 version, the Switch version, the PC version, the Google Stadia version. Is it Stadia? Yes, it's Stadia. And the, the Apple Arcade or mobile or other platforms. Maybe not Apple Arcade, but there's loads of versions. Oh, and the PS Vita, but that's, that's an inferior version. So I can kind of see why people are confused, but I think it's a, a good opportunity to get another limited edition because NIS have printing editions, so you missed out on an Ellie... For a previous platform, you can get that and get a limited edition. And also, it's a good chance for the um, the bugs and translation errors that, that were on the previous versions of the games to be on the disc and not be patched in. So, um, yeah, that's a good thing the way I see it. And it's just, like, easy money. It's a great game. Play it. I don't see the issue. Just pick it up if you're interested. If not, just wait for a price drop. As I've kind of mentioned before, I think it kind of shows how companies are slow to move over and the console did launch too early, because you're just nothing but ports at the moment. There was also uh, Fallen Legion ports as well for the PS5 as well as Xbox Series, so uh, yeah, the only new like next next-gen stuff were just ports, so uh, yeah. And finally, um, in terms of news um, for niche stuffish, because the rest of it's a little bit more mainstream, um, Super Bullet Break. This was a uh, a gacha game that was previously released in Japan for phones under the name like Bullet Break, 
uh, it's been picked up for the West for consoles under the name Super Bullet Break for PS4, Switch, and PC. Kind of dated for the summer. Um, this is a version of the game that's expanded, significantly re-enhanced, and although it does have gacha mechanics, there's no microtransactions. So it's basically gacha, but without the microtransaction predatory bullshit. That is what often plagues a lot of these releases. Like, I don't touch things like Bandori aside from console releases. Like, I've played the Bandori Switch version. I've talked about it, including in my Switch collection video. Check it out. Um, but I like it because it actually makes the game, like, playable for neurodivergent people who really struggle with the temptation to spend real money and the pressures and compulsions and stuff like that and disabled people and that kind of thing. So having this version exist is really good, and especially in English as well. It's developed by the Doko Demo Isoyo Studio B-Xide, or B-X-I-D-E. Um, but Doko Demo Isoyo is like a Japan-only PlayStation IP, for those not aware. Like, PlayStation has a bunch of Japan-only IPs, but I've never really come to the West. Uh, the closest one we had was like Orishika, if that makes sense, like because the first game was Japan-only. Yeah, I'm going really off track now, but they exist, so look them up. Same with Millennium Kitchen, interesting histories. Um, this uh, Doko Demo Ishio title, Super Bullet Break, has a day one edition on Funstock at the moment, which is basically art book and stuff, and I just find the PQ launch editions like, so like collectible, having this really formulaic structure, and I just wish I could get more of them. I've got a few of them, they're quite nice. I wish I could get more, but you know... It's nice to have these boxes, so it's nice to have it, even though it'll probably be quite expensive, but I kind of want to get this game because it looks cute and it's safe as a neurodivergent to play, as I mentioned already, so uh, that's cool. On to more mainstream stuff now, we have a Tactics Ogre Reborn trademark that surfaced, filed by Square Enix on the 21st of, no, 31st of March in Japan, so it's not officially announced, but a Tactics Ogre Reborn game was basically data mined already when people were looking through the NVIDIA G4 service and it included things like uh, Act Razor Renaissance, Dungeon Encounters, the Chrono Cross re-release. So, um, yeah, not quite under those exact names, but people were able to work out that they existed. Uh, and then when they revealed, it was like, oh shit, this is really cool. So, yeah, that's cool. Uh, while I'm on the topic of Chrono Cross, I know some people haven't been liking the, the news of the port. I've not really been following it, but... As someone who largely wants to play these older games, as long as it's got accessibility features like turn rewind, turn skip and things like that, or more instant save points and stuff like that, I don't care as much. Like, it doesn't have to look amazing, but as long as it doesn't look and run like shit, I don't care. Like, I like the appeal of that. And in Asia, it's getting a physical version later this month, so I've been able to get Chrono Cross physically, especially as it never originally came out in Europe, which is where I am. Uh, is good news, so that's, again, a physical version. You can get it on PlayAsia, but there are other sites too. I think in the UK there might be some, but I'm not sure, so don't quote me on that. There are other ones too, like um, Saga Scarlet Grace Ambitions as well, for PS4 and Switch. So yeah, that game was released digitally by Square Enix in English like years ago, and now it's coming out in Korea, and now it's getting a physical there with English tech support, so if that's something that interests you, pick it up, you know? Like... It should be coming out worldwide, but better late than never. Um, small mainstream stuff. 
Uh, Max Payne 1 and 2 Remake, recently announced by Remedy Entertainment and Rockstar Games. Um, I've never played Max Payne. I've never been super interested, but like, if you've played it, I can understand why you'd be excited for it, because, like, it's a classic. It's coming back. It's That's really cool. Kind of like... I mean, I want to say kind of like how I feel about Amnesia, but I've not actually played the original Amnesia. So, um... I can kind of see it, but also kind of not. But if you're interested, hopefully it pans out and Rockstar don't fuck it up. I am, uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'd rather wait for the finished thing because Rockstar have made some very bad business decisions lately because GTA Online is raking dough and a uh, hashtag late stage capitalism. So uh, that is a thing. And finally, uh, oh, not finally, I've got two more. Um second from last thing so yeah i've been at this for nearly 30 minutes thq nordic the company uh who's like a huge mismatch of part of the embracer group having a digital showcase on august the 12th uh 12 p.m pacific 3 p.m uh, edt 8 p.m british 21 o'clock or 9 p.m central european and 10 p.m eest i'm guessing that's I'm not sure where EEST is, probably somewhere like Australia or something. So, uh, planning to announce new games that include original IPs to older titles. So, um, that's a thing, might be cool. All I'm really interested in, though, is uh, the Cosmic Shake for the SpongeBob game, because uh, that looks cool, and I like SpongeBob, I don't care. I'll walk into a game shop the day it comes out and pick up this little SpongeBob game, and I don't care what people think, because SpongeBob is fucking incredible, at least for the first few seasons and the movie. And the second movie. I've not watched the third movie, but maybe it's cool too. And maybe the episodes right now where the original writers will come come back to, to like save the show is good. Uh, uh, coming out on the PS4 and Switch in Japan this week is the console version of this cute little game called Metal Dogs. You literally like. Well, first off, it is on Steam Early Access in English. You can buy it. It's um, about fifteen pounds. I've not played it, but. The console versions could come out in English later, so um, I don't want to like spoil the fun. But it's a special, it's a spin-off of the Metal Max series, but you play as cute dogs and you go around shooting. It's a shooting game. It's basically like an action game, but you're playing as dogs. I guess the best way I can put it, if it's like kind of like from what I've seen from the gameplay, like it is part of the Metal Max series, which is um basically. The same series as Metal Max Zeno Reborn and uh, Metal Max, well, no, Metal Saga and some other fan translated games like Metal Max 3. Like, most of the series has never come out over here, but this game is for some reason. But yeah, cute doggies, play as doggies. It's kind of like COD, but you're playing as dogs, if that kind of makes sense, but not military. In World War II sense, it's just like in this post apocalyptic world because that's what the Metal Max series is set in that world and usually turn this off cheese but you get to play as cute dogs it looks so fucking cool because doggies are so cute and i love them doggies are so cute and i love them they are very cute i want to play as cute dogs i hope this gets an english release yes on pc it's english but i want it on switch uh best version of the console games are published by katakawa games so it'll probably come over at some point and the company he's developing it is 24 frames so uh yeah cute dogs please i want to pet them and Play this little card game with the geek doggies. Alright, and now moving on to the second portion of the episode, which is uh, what I've been playing. Uh, I'm not going to talk about too much this time around, because I've done like 30 minutes on the 
the news and don't want to go on too long because I've still got the topic to do, which is after this. So I'll only talk about a couple of games today, maybe a third. I haven't decided yet. I'm kind of doing this uh, as I go. And I'm going to first talk about the big release that I played, and that's uh, Uncharted Drake's Fortune. So yeah, uh, it's 2022 and I finally got around to playing the first like Uncharted game, which is one of the major like building blocks of like the late 2000s and how games evolved into these like from a mainstream perspective anyway really like realistic really gritty mature violence triple a games with a focus on big budget cinematics and all that kind of thing that's so normalized now and back then it was quite experimental i think to a point and it's just weird to take a little like leap back in time and just play this game and hopefully you're going to play the rest of the, the trilogy as well. And I liked it a lot more than I thought I did. It looks great. Even on the PS3 in like 2022, it looks incredible. And seeing the, uh, the environments for like El Dorado and the Amazon, it was really cool. Uh, they, uh, it's an action-adventure game, if people didn't know that already. It features lots of parkour, lots of shooting, with puzzle elements, and action with like shooting down mercenaries and really good like cinematics and voice acting as well which I thought was really cool and um yeah definitely gonna want to check out the rest of the games I um this is might be a little bit of a spoiler if you've like not played the game already but I imagine most people who are into video games have at least wanted to play it or have some idea what happens and I love towards the end how it's a kind of subverted genres towards survival horror in some ways because there's one point in the game where you end up going down into the, the depths of the island and then you find uh, really, really weird creatures. Uh, not zombies, but it's really difficult to describe. But I'm not going to spoil it, the plot like fully, but basically that's relevant to the plot. And it's quite fucking terrifying, especially when you like go through these like really like dark corridors and stuff. It's basically like I jumped out of this action-adventure game into... A survival horror game, and I don't play survival horror games because they're fucking scary, and I don't like it. But I thought it was interesting how it mixed it in, and uh, yeah, I mean, part of me was like, I can kind of see why they went for The Last of Us afterwards, like, because this game was made by Naughty Dog, and I can kind of see why they decided to go, oh, let's go full in on the survival horror because actually making it in Uncharted was fun, and I'm guessing there's probably aspects of it in two and three, perhaps. I don't know. I'll have to look into it. But yeah, um, that was interesting. The other big game is uh, Steam Prison, Switch Otome game, made by Hune X, which is another company, not Idea Factory. It's completely different. Um, it's different style. I can tell it's different style. Like, there's a lot more choices in this one. There's also, like, like six endings and a grand ending. There's so quite a lot of content in terms of, not six endings, like... Five endings per character, and there's six characters. The Switch version has an exclusive character, which uh, was added to the PC version as a separate DLC, if that makes sense. Like, that's basically how that works, if that kind of makes sense. And yeah, I like so far how it's, like, really deep, and if you go in other routes, you get backstory, which wasn't covered in, like, the main endings and the good endings, and even in other routes, you can, like, get an ending where you end up staying with another character, which was, a uh, interesting and I quite like the structure because I'm not sure even though Tomato did that at least out the ones I've played and uh yeah um I would like to play more of it I don't know when it'll be done but I want to get Steam Prison done before I move on to another Otome game and uh I kind of need to do that soon because there's tons of good Otome stuff coming out in the next like 12 months 
and I want to get on with some of this new stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'll be digging back into that, which is quite cool. So uh, that's me with what I've been playing. I might play more, maybe not. Uh, Duolingo as well with Japanese. I'm around 80 days. More than 80 days. It's great. Alright, now on to my um, final uh, section today. Uh, the this topic, because uh, as if I've not gone on long enough, at nearly like 14 minutes. Well, hey. Um, basically about conventions and stuff, because E3 was basically cancelled this year. As I mentioned at the start, there's also like the THQ Nordic Expo, the NGPX Expo, and other direct streams, which are a thing now. And I wanted to kind of talk about that a bit about my thoughts, because as I mentioned, I don't expect it to come back. I basically, like, it's it's declining, and it's going to, like, I think in the next few years, it will be gone for good. And it's basically, like, the end of an era at this point. And I feel like I've got an interesting perspective, because... I don't like to talk about it too much because I've had like lots of trauma associated with the past, but I did used to be a games journalist like long before I started like Miller's Game Room and stuff. I used to like like under like an old, an old website which is I don't want to talk about because it's trash. And it's yeah, it meant that at one point I did end up covering like E three remotely. And I feel like having that perspective is valuable because like if you're a games journalist, it's always like, Oh god, fuck, it's E three week. And if you do E three, like it's basically like non-stop work for almost two weeks. And especially if you go to these events, you've basically got to book flights to California, be prepared to go to this convention center three days, talk to as many people as possible, do all this networking, all this other stuff, try games, and then write all this shit up and get it published. It's basically like extreme overwork for two weeks, and that's not fun. Like, I've never actually been to E3 because I I wouldn't be able to go anyway because I'm not I'm not even on the same continent but also I would have struggled to handle it anyway. But I've never really like I've always seen like stories and people like it's really difficult to deal with and even at the time because of things like Nintendo Directs and like live streams because like during the like 2000s and t- mainly the 2010s but also maybe the 2000s as well. There were live streams of these events like not just like Nintendo Directs but things like Sony show, Activision show, Ubisoft show and all these other things, like, these have these shows, you'd have to tune into them live, often at, like, really anti-social times, to watch a live stream, and in one screen have the news, like, site up to write stuff in straight away, to get it published for the clicks, and then the other screen having this stream on, you having to basically get this stuff together, get an article written up, then get it published. Even sometimes get a screenshot as well, because you'd have like the featured image for like if you use WordPress, you've got to like if you have the image for the post and get that captured. Someone else has to do that, and it's basically like teamwork stuff all over the internet. And um, yeah, it's not fun. And the um, uh, E3 was held in like Los Angeles in that area. Um, yeah, I think Los Angeles. I don't even remember. It's definitely in California, part of really expensive part of the USA, and. I am not in California, I'm like eight hours ahead in like the UK, so it's basically sometimes having to be up at like gone midnight to just listen to these streams, and it was really tiring to deal with, to be honest, and it wasn't fun, like, it's just, yeah, especially when like, when you're like down the runs of a career ladder, a lot of the time when you do games journalism, especially for like small websites, you don't get paid. It's basically you're doing it because you care. You have the passion. You're doing it because you want to, not because 
it's good money because you don't get good money when you do games journalism and that's basically like that's basically what these in my E3 are so shit to deal with regardless of whether you're there in person or online because you get like shit compensation for it like it's really not fun to do and really stressful as well and uh at one point I was in Japan as well because I studied abroad in Japan um for like one year of my degree and that included like being in Japan when an E3 was going on and so I ended up covering E3 from Japan so instead of being eight hours like ahead it was actually like 16 hours ahead technically so like being up really early in the morning and yeah it just it really messes with you a bit because you go there like you're in it's a daytime or nighttime and it's like oh shit it's actually the day there and it's just weird and it's really hard to deal with and like I think over time it's gone easier because of things like personally for me I've stepped back like I moved on like I'm doing things on my terms like Miller's Game Room like even with the news earlier it's like I can pick what I want to talk about, not worry about the crap, and choose, like, what battles to fight in terms of what to talk about, what to think about, and uh, pace on my terms, like, I'm recording this podcast on times that are convenient for me, and not having to worry about live streams, I'm not worried about live reactions, because here I am recording this podcast on my terms, like, even, like, if I would have recorded it yesterday, but I had shit come up, so I couldn't do it. And it's just as well because there's Kingdom Hearts stuff and you know, Kingdom Hearts stuff's pretty cool. And even when you like as a games journalist, like sometimes you just got to spontaneously make videos and like even then doing that quite quickly can be quite exhausting, especially because you need the clicks. And E3 just kind of embodies that having to like be on top of everything and it's just ugh. I worry I've kind of derailed a little bit, but I think it's interesting to kind of focus it on it from like a former games journey perspective, if that makes sense. Like, I'm glad it's moving on basically because online streams like with Nintendo, Directs, the Sony show, the States of Play, the Microsoft Xbox thing, even the third party ones, UB Forward, THQ Nordic, New Video Games Plus, the Japanese streams as well because Japanese companies do them in Japan as well, like Aqua Plus do them as well, like... They've had shows where the, the, the voice actors come on for the Utawarano games and other things as well. And they come on and just talk for an hour. That's like a Japanese like stream. And if you want to watch them as a foreigner, you can. But they're in Japanese. So unless you know Japanese, there's no point. But they're there. It makes it more accessible to reach to an audience. And it's it's generally like it's got a different feel especially as a fan you can like i can watch this stream from the comfort of my own home especially a show that like nintendo or other companies have put together in advance so it's more accessible for them as well because then like capitalism is shit but you don't have to force people to come down to the office or come down in person to host this press conference you just get it all done in advance put it on live and you can just do it from home and especially with the directs like Sometimes the times are quite good for your region, sometimes they're not. Like um like in I've had experience of this in the UK and Japan where sometimes the regions are good for where I am, but sometimes they're just fucking shit. But I do like how Nintendo tried to schedule them quite fairly so people who don't like do them online can just like they can miss some and that's okay because like one they're video games and two, like, it's fair. Um and it's good like that's much, much, much better than having to do this E3 shit and just be convenient for like California because that's the time zone that everything will be shaped around so 
even now it's like with the game awards that's still live from los angeles so even then it's like if you're in europe it's really late often to early morning but if you're in like australia new zealand or asia like japan it's often quite early in the morning so there's still a sense of predictability even when e3's gone there'll still be things like that and i'm guessing for these european-centric publishers they'll have the time in the evening but just at a more sensible time so that they can capture as much of the American audience, but as much of the Asian audience as possible too. It's uh, I'm not sure it goes in these decisions, but it's just vastly better. And also it means that at the time it's like, news can't easily be restricted. So people can like, like collect news and then even if they wait for recording it, it's basically you can update it later and instantly information, especially if you've got veteran journalists who can like ask questions and like, critique the the listings and that because they can use like fake gameplay and stuff which has happened and it's controversies and it's like it's easier for people to spot this stuff and it's harder for them to get away with it and especially where they can't be easily hidden like behind closed doors at e3 and stuff because they do close demos and they still do them now at shows but with e3 and that thing it was often quite done where they'd have public stuff and closed stuff but Especially in the past when it was like all close to journos only, so only journos could see it, it meant that they, it could more easily like misrepresent the true state of the game, if that makes sense. And I mentioned my accessibility, but like in person events, crowded rooms, noisy environments, wheelchair access issues, the unwritten rules of networking, which is confusing as hell, all these things would make attending an event like E3 really fucking difficult. Like, Especially an autistic person, like, I just can't deal with that. It's just, ugh, I just can't deal with that. E3, it's just, and that kind of thing would be just bad. And, and yeah, having it online, own terms again. There are other things disability wise too, like visually impaired, hearing, hard of hearing, etc. So it's not just about autism and stuff, it's everything. And people can cater their own setups to their own like accessibility. And that's so cool. And especially now that events are moving away from the strict E3 model. Games that would previously been seen as unprofitable under capitalism and unlocalizable will now get fair airtime. Like the new Video Games Plus Expo I talked about at the beginning had Otome games, which like 10 years ago would have been basically unthinkable. Like in 2012 back then, we would have had Hakuoki and Sweet Fuse, but that was basically it. Like everything else was just, it wouldn't be picked up, yet alone a period of like E3. But now you have things like Amnesia, Later X Crowd, highlighting new Video Games Plus showreel. And that's cool. And also things for queer and marginalized devs as well, because you don't need E3 for that. You can get like approved marketing from like Sony or Nintendo as part of deals, but you don't need them as much to sell your game, which is really cool. Likewise, you have a like gatekeeping aspects of these publishers who only focus on what's the biggest budget, what can make the most money. And that's good. Like in short, E3 declining and going likewise with similar shows and the move to like online platforms, more accessibility, more exposure for niche games, better for people like me, who used to be former games journos, reconnecting a hobby on my terms with my space, and also better for fans as a whole who can connect from their own home and not have to worry about traveling down to these areas and being able to better see the products for themselves and not worry about the information being withheld by publishers. It's uh, really good and I'm glad. It was very much a product of its time, like in the 90s it was like the games industry is still growing, it had been after the economic crash of the 80s where the gaming companies like Atari almost killed the games industry altogether, and 
now it's just growing and they have this show and it's not really a thing anymore. You don't need it. The internet has basically killed it off. And that's fine. Uh, yeah, that's basically how I feel about it. I'm going to stop for today. I've been, I, this is probably going to be among the longest episodes yet because I love to constantly keep rambling in my episodes now. I might edit this down in editing, so if it doesn't show up as around 15 minutes, I've cut back a lot of the filler, especially in the news section. So um, so that's putting that as up front, even though I'll be keeping the Kingdom Hearts stuff because Kingdom Hearts is so fucking cool as well. So yeah, um, once again, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please like, comment, subscribe, leave five-star reviews, etc. and so forth on your platform of choice. And leave a follow and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Miller's Game Room, where I'll be uh, next week posting my Tavern 2 video. And after that, more stuff. Amazing, phenomenal stuff. Thank you and bye-bye.